Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609. And this is episode 56 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, and it is Thursday, December 30th, 2021. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio, and yes... There's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, before I get to today's news, I want to tell you about a personal journey I've been on for 13 years and how, by the grace of God, I discovered the best-kept secret in American health care. I have hoped and prayed for years for the opportunity to share this on a national stage, and I'm thankful the Lord has opened the door for me to do so. Back in 2008, I was living in Brunswick, Georgia, selling radio commercials. That's where I met a doctor who taught me about a crucial part of health care that most of us have never heard of. Okay, here goes. Your skull weighs somewhere between 8 and 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1 bone, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas bone to get out of alignment. If it does get out of alignment, it can cause your spinal column to get kinked up like a chain. So that can lead to big problems because that's where your central nervous system is located. If your spinal column gets kinked up, it can cause your central nervous system to be unable to send impulses to the rest of your body as God designed it to do. So you need to find out if you need an upper cervical care doctor. They're the doctors who take x-rays of your head and neck to see if your atlas is out of alignment. And if it is, they're the doctors who will adjust your atlas to get it back in alignment and you feel better. At the time I found out about this over 13 years ago, I was a single dad and my mom was helping me raise my six children. So I went home and told her about this doctor I met who adjusts people's atlases and about the results he was getting. She said, Doc, you have to take your son, Steve. He's only 13 years old, and I'm afraid he's developing scoliosis, curvature of the spine. He can't sit up straight. He can't stand up straight. And he has migraines all the time. So I took Steve. He got his atlas adjusted, and immediately he sat up straight, and he stood up straight. After his third adjustment, the migraines went away for good. Then my mom told me, Doc, look at yourself in the mirror. Your shoulders are off balance, and you have bad headaches all the time. I think you need to get your atlas adjusted. So I did, and the migraines went away. But I also realized that I had been suffering through a low-grade but consistent head and neck ache caused by several automobile accidents I had been in over the past 20 years. So that consistent low-grade head and neck ache went away immediately, and I instantly realized I had been walking around in a fog for several years. Getting my atlas adjusted was like coming up out of the ether. But what really surprised me was when springtime came around, And for the first time I could remember, I didn't have hay fever. Well, that was quite a shock because I had had really bad hay fever every spring going all the way back to my school days. Folks who have their atlases adjusted have reported success with not just migraines, not just allergies, but fibromyalgia, acid reflux, and even eczema. 
It's all about adjusting the atlas to remove the obstruction that keeps your central nervous system from sending impulses to different parts of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I've been under this kind of care for over 13 years in three different states. I think I would probably be in a wheelchair by now if I hadn't found out about getting my atlas adjusted. My wife and I know many people this has helped. If you're wondering if you need to get your atlas adjusted, look in the mirror or look at a picture of yourself. Do your eyes look off balance? Do your shoulders look off balance? Do you naturally tilt your head to one side or the other? When you sit on the sofa, are you most comfortable leaning one way or the other? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. If you'd like to get a free consultation with a doctor near you who adjusts atlases, go to the website TurnMyPowerOn.com. We link to it on our website, TurnMyPowerOn.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, a lot to get to today. Uh, we've got um, serious developments coming up on the um, Wu flu on the China virus front. One of the main doctors who's been trying to raise the alarm, Dr. Robert Malone, uh, was banned from Twitter forever yesterday, simply for getting the truth out or for trying to get the truth out. But one of the questions that we are going to deal with today is why should Bill Clinton be very happy about how the Glenn Maxwell trial was handled? Okay. Now, remember, Glenn Maxwell was front and center at Chelsea Clinton's wedding after after her former boyfriend and the guy that she still worked for went to prison. Remember that? Went to prison because of the uh, what he'd done to the underage girls. Right? So, and how many times was Bill Clinton on the Lolita Express? What, 26 times that we know of? So we find out, we find out that Glenn Maxwell's little black book is going to remain sealed. You know about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, liberal liberal law professor Jonathan Turley, Shapiro Chair of Public Interest Law at George Washington University, criminal defense attorney, legal analyst, So he's out there talking about it yesterday after the verdict. And he says, when you consider these five convictions for Glenn Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's former girlfriend and pimp, the picture, this picture becomes more glaring in this total, the total absence of prosecution for the man on the other end of these flights. And the picture he's referring to is a picture of Bill Clinton getting a neck massage from a woman named Shante Davis. Now, now, who is Shante Davis? UK Daily Mail. UK Daily Mail had this 
August 18th of last year, exclusive, would you mind giving it a crack? Bill Clinton leans back and smiles while receiving neck massage from Epstein victim, 22 years old, in never-before-seen photos during trip on pedophiles' plane to Africa in 2002. The pictures are an ill-timed remember of Clinton's links to Epstein as a former president, 72, 73 now, prepares to endorse Joe Biden tonight at the Democrat convention. Oh, that was perfect timing for that to come out. Clinton is seen comfortably and laughing as Shantae Davis, then a 22-year-old massage therapist, rubs her hands into his shoulders. The images show Clinton, then 56, leaning back while Shantae Davies kneels on a chair behind him, and in the second image, he seems to be smiling in relief. The former president had complained of a stiff neck after falling asleep on Epstein's Lolita Express while on a humanitarian trip to Africa in 2002. Epstein's accused Madam Glenn Maxwell encouraged Davies to give Clinton a massage while the group was refueling in a small airport in Portugal, 58-year-old Maxwell, arrested July of last year. And at this point, when the pictures came out, in prison on charges in connection to uh, Epstein's sex trafficking ring, after Maxwell's insistence, Clinton asked Davies, would you mind giving it a crack? Clinton's office previously issued a statement in regard to his travels on the plane and denied knowing anything about Epstein's crimes. Right. Even though Glenn Maxwell, the woman who helped facilitate Epstein's crimes, was at Chelsea's wedding after Epstein went to prison. So, anyway, Jonathan Turley, liberal law professor, continues. He says, from the outset, the Justice Department seemed eager to scuttle any prosecution of the Johns in this sex trafficking scheme with the infamous plea deal for Epstein. While the Southern District of New York expressed outrage over the crimes and aggressively pursued Glenn Maxwell, that unrelenting effort seemed to stop with Maxwell. There's a long list of male figures on these flights, including two former presidents, a prince, and a couple of billionaires. But the Southern District of New York described this case as involving the worst crimes imaginable, facilitating and participating in the sexual abuse of children. However, that trafficking was to bring these girls not just to Epstein, but also to others. He says, these pictures are not glaring as evidence of crimes, but proof of the guest lists on these flights and trips. The proof of such trips should be the basis for inquiry from the same investigators that pursued Glenn Maxwell for all of the men on these trips. I just, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. Now, 
Let's take a look. Let's take a look at the statement from the Southern District of New York after the verdict yesterday. Statement of U.S. Attorney Damian Williams on the verdict in U.S. versus Glenn Maxwell. And it's not a very long statement either. A unanimous jury has found Glenn Maxwell guilty of one of the worst crimes imaginable, facilitating and participating in the sexual abuse of children. Crimes that she committed with her longtime partner and co-conspirator, Jeffrey Epstein. The road to justice has been far too long, but today justice has been done. I want to commend the bravery of the girls, now grown women, who stepped out of the shadows and into the courtroom. Their courage and willingness to face their abuser made this case and today's result possible. I also want to thank the career prosecutors of the Southern District of New York who embraced the victim's quest for justice and have worked tirelessly day in and day out to ensure that Maxwell was held accountable for her crimes. This office will always stand with victims, will always follow the facts wherever they lead, and will always fight to ensure that no one, no matter how powerful and well-connected, is above the law. Okay, why do we not believe this? That last sentence. This office will always stand with victims, will always follow the facts wherever they lead, and will always fight to ensure that no one, no matter how powerful and well-connected, is above the law. Why do we not believe that? Well, because the little black book is is sealed, right? Because there's no indication whatsoever that there's any plan whatsoever to go after any of the uh, other guys besides Epstein, you know? Now, I saw a documentary recently, recently about um, Epstein and Maxwell, and the allegation there was that Glenn Maxwell's dad, Robert Maxwell, who was a big media mogul in the UK, um, the allegation was that he was heavily involved in intelligence work. Heavily involved. Tied in with the uh, Mossad, like the CIA of uh, Israel and who knows who else. And there's been a lot of scuttlebutt that uh, 
perhaps Epstein and Maxwell were also involved in intelligence work. Widely reported that Epstein had closed-circuit security video cameras all over Lolita Island, right? And all over his mansion in New York and all over the ranch in New Mexico. But Amy Robach, ABC News. I think we got the uh, I think we got the audio here. Project Veritas, remember? A couple of years ago, published leaked video footage of ABC News anchor Amy Robach discussing the network's failure to adequately report on the now-deceased sex offender Jeffrey Epstein three years earlier. We got this Wall Street Journal. I think this is it. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revelations. Oh, 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 Wall Street Journal. You left it out where she said we had Clinton, we had everything. No, 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 no. You're gonna not going to get away with that, Wall Street Journal. No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The Wall Street Journal itself leaves out where she says, we had Clinton, we had everything. No. Come on now. I thought we had the... the, I thought we had the right thing. Okay, all right, all right, all right. All right. Project Veritas. We get Project Veritas's um, YouTube channel. I think we're going to get the right thing here. All right, here we go. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we that also quashed the story. And then um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revelations, and I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day, I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my god, we it was um, what what we had was unreal. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep, Brad Edwards, the attorney, three years ago, saying like aunt like. We, there will come a day where we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. I had it all three years ago. All right. Brad Edwards being the attorney for uh, uh, Virginia Roberts Jeffrey. But she's claiming there they had Clinton and they had other women backing everything up. 
Okay, again, again, I take you back to the statement from the DOJ just yesterday. The statement from U.S. Attorney Damian Williams, Southern District of New York, saying this office will always stand with victims, will always follow the facts wherever they lead, will always fight to ensure that no one, no matter how powerful and well-connected, is above the law. Now, why should we believe that? Seriously. Why should we believe that? Not Bill Clinton. No. Not Bill Clinton. Let me tell you something. Um, if you're listening to this, you probably know that I used to do a local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay? Now, when I first came to uh, Arkansas seven and a half years ago, I was told by people that Hillary Clinton was going to be president, and they weren't happy about that. They weren't happy about that. But they're just like, look, Doc, here's the deal. We've been here all our lives. The Clintons get away with everything. The Clintons get away with everything. Because they're, they're used to it. There's a, uh, there's a phrase down in, uh, a term down in um, Arkansas called being Arkansided. Arkansas. And a lot of people in Arkansas believe that there are a number of people who uh, came to untimely deaths, were murdered because they crossed the Clintons. Okay? So, um, <clears throat> pardon me. So they're looking at the Glenn Maxwell situation, Epstein situation. They're like, of course Clinton's going to walk. Clinton always walks. It doesn't matter that Amy Robach of ABC, in an unguarded moment on a video she thought would never came out, come out, said we had Clinton, we had everything. Because once Project Veritas did release that video, then, of course, Amy Robach made a statement how it was all taken out of context and it wasn't like that because she had to. Now, this Damian Williams guy, U.S. Attorney for Southern District of New York, who promises that nobody, no matter how wealthy and powerful, will escape the long arm of the law, I'm just kind of checking him out here. And um, he has a fellowship from the Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans. Soros, huh? Paul Soros. Oh, the brother of George Soros. Oh, I see. George Soros, the guy who is uh, funding all of these uh, prosecutors in big cities in America who have become famous for ignoring violent crime, for letting violent criminals back out with no bail. Oh, that's Soros. Oh, yeah, his brother. Yeah, yeah. 
So, oh, and another thing, I, I, you probably heard this. One of the lead prosecutors in the Glenn Maxwell case is Jim Comey's daughter. Keep it all in the family, right? So, did you know that when they made the deal with Jeffrey Epstein back in 2008, 2008, that there was a uh, an agreement. This is under George W. Bush's uh, DOJ. There was an agreement, kind of a sweetheart deal, that they wouldn't go after any of Epstein's co-conspirators. Do you know that? Little Black Book, Glenn Maxwell's Little Black Book, remains sealed. Uh, The UK Times says, the prosecution and defense in the trial of Glenn Maxwell have agreed that her little black book of contacts will never be made public even though the jury was allowed to see part of it. Judge Allison Nathan ruled at Manhattan Federal Court that only a limited amount of material from the British Socialites Contacts book would be released under seal. Maxwell, 59, accused of procuring, grooming, and trafficking young girls for sexual abuse by the pedophile financier Jeffrey Epstein from 1994 to 2004, pleaded not guilty but faced faces decades in prison if convicted, and of course she has been convicted. 97-page book containing the names and contact details of almost 2,000 people, including world leaders, celebrities, and businessmen will remain under seal. Why? Because U.S. Attorney Damian Williams, Southern District of New York, who got his job from Biden's AG, Merrick Garland, says... This office will always stand with victims, will always follow the facts wherever they lead, will always fight to ensure that no one, no matter how powerful and well-connected, is above the law. Really? Why would anybody believe that? Why would anybody believe that? No. Now, if you're thinking, well, Doc, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't know. They might prosecute somebody else. Well, they might. But if they were going to, why uh, Why wouldn't that have happened by now? Why wouldn't that have happened by now? That's what I want to know. All right, now, there was a development reported by lawandcrime.com 
Late yesterday, federal judges order release of Jeffrey Epstein's civil settlement at issue in lawsuit against Prince Andrew. So let's take a look at this. And front and center in the article is a picture of Prince Andrew standing with his arm around Virginia Jeffrey's waist with Glenn Maxwell standing in the background. Jeffrey included this photograph in her lawsuit against Prince Andrew, federal judges ordered the unsealing of a 2009 settlement agreement that Prince Andrew has claimed insulates him from a civil lawsuit accusing him of having sexually abused a 17-year-old girl. Okay? The more than decade-old deal signed by the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and the prince's accuser Virginia Jeffrey is said to have shielded broad categories of Epstein's powerful associates, including royalty, from civil liability. The prince's lawyer, Andrew Brettler, wrote in a memo on October 29th, quote, because Prince Andrew is a senior member of the British royal family, he falls into one of the expressly identified categories of persons, in other words, royalty, released from liability under the release agreement, along with politicians, academicians, businessmen, and others allegedly associated with Epstein. Virginia Jeffrey denies that the agreement has that effect. The civil agreement is separate from the non-prosecution agreement crafted in a way that would seem to shield Epstein's suspected co-conspirators from criminal liability. Remember, I was just telling you about this a few minutes ago. Glenn Maxwell who when this was written yesterday afternoon was still awaiting a jury's verdict in her sex trafficking trial, later found guilty on five or six charges, unsuccessfully tried to invoke the latter agreement to beat her federal indictment. Oh, 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 really? So she tried to invoke the agreement from 2008 that the government was not going to go after any of Epstein's co-conspirators if he would accept the sweetheart deal of 13 months in jail, but being allowed out of his jail cell for 12 hours a day to go to the office, quote-unquote. says, Maxwell faced the possibility of spending the rest of her life in a U.S. prison if a jury convicts her of six charges while they convict her of five, accusing her enticing and trafficking minors for Epstein's predation. In civil litigation, Prince Andrew and Professor Emeritus at Harvard Law School, Alan Dershowitz, cited the civil deal in an attempt to swat away claims by Virginia Jeffrey, who accused both men of sexually abusing her. Dershowitz, a rival of Jeffrey's lawyer, David Boyes, vehemently denied the allegations and countersued Jeffrey for defamation he has also sued attorney David Boyce. David Boyce, I remember that name. He was Al Gore's attorney in, in 2000 when Al Gore tried to steal the election. Anyway, the memo from Virginia Jeffrey's attorney, Brettler, states, quote, Indeed, that same agreement was the basis for Jeffrey agreeing to dismiss her previously released battery claim against Pro- Professor Dershowitz earlier this year. Professor Dershowitz a third-party beneficiary of the 2009 settlement agreement was 
entitled to rely upon and enforce the terms of that secret deal. Okay, I just goofed up. I just goofed up. I'm sorry. I got too many names going at me. Brettler was the attorney. Is the attorney for the prince. I apologize. I apologize. So it's Prince Andrew's attorney saying that the agreement should shield Prince Andrew and Dershowitz from being sued by Virginia Jeffrey. However, senior U.S. District Judge Loretta Preska, who's presiding over Dershowitz's case, you know, him suing uh, Jeffrey and David Boyce, her attorney for defamation, this judge presiding over Dershowitz's case, and Lewis Kaplan presiding over the Prince Andrews case, ordered the release of the 2009 civil deal on Wednesday, scheduling the document's public release for this coming Monday, January 3rd. Prince Andrew and Virginia Jeffrey will face off in federal court on January 4th, one day later. Virginia Jeffrey's civil complaint alleging that accused sex trafficker Ghislaine Maxwell turned her into Epstein's sex slave helped spark the 60-year-old Brit's criminal prosecution, Glenn Maxwell. The lawsuits against Dershowitz and Prince Andrew sprung from allegations that first became public during the litigation with Glenn Maxwell. The lawsuit against Prince Andrew accuses him of sexually assaulting Virginia Jeffrey in three locations, Epstein's New York mansion and private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as in Maxwell's London home. The latter locale is where the prince was pictured with his arm around Virginia Jeffrey's waist. Prince Andrew, who strongly denies the allegations, has not been charged with any crimes. Of course he hasn't been. And neither has Bill Clinton. And neither has Alan Dershowitz. And neither have any of them. Former U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman, Southern District of New York, however, said the prince has not cooperated with their investigation and strongly worded statement in June 2020, a month later, Berman's successor, then acting U.S. Attorney Audrey Strauss, emphasized her prosecutors would welcome the prince's help. I'm thinking they didn't get it. Well, let's take a look at that strongly worded statement from June 8th of 2020. From then, U.S. Attorney Jeffrey Berman responding to a statement issued the same day by a law firm representing Prince Andrew. But you have never heard this. He said today, Prince Andrew yet again sought to falsely portray himself to the public as eager and willing to cooperate with an ongoing federal criminal investigation into sex trafficking and related offenses committed by Jeffrey Epstein and his associates, even though the prince has not given an interview to federal authorities, has repeatedly declined our request to schedule such an interview, and nearly four months ago informed us unequivocally through the very same counsel who issued today's press release that he would not come in for such an interview. If Prince Andrew is, in fact, serious about cooperating with the ongoing federal investigation, our doors remain open and we await word of when we should expect him. We'll see it didn't happen. And so the question is, a year and a half later, 
and at least three U.S. attorneys later, is there still an ongoing criminal investigation? An ongoing federal criminal investigation? Or is it all wrapped up with um, the guilty verdicts against Glenn Maxwell? I mean, what do you think? What do you think? I mean, it's done as far as I'm concerned. It's done. I don't expect anybody else to uh, be prosecuted. Now, look, uh, if it turns out I'm wrong, um, if it turns out that, oh, sure, they're going to go after Prince Andrew or Bill Clinton or whoever, I'll be the first to tell you, well, huh, I... uh welcome that uh, development. I'm stunned. And uh, is it possible to to buy a hat that is edible? Because, I mean, I would at that point have to eat my hat, right? <laughs> not going to happen, man. Just absolutely positively not going to happen. There are all kinds of people that are on those planes. And again, and again, and again, and again, you have women who are saying, hey, look, it wasn't just Epstein and Maxwell. Okay, I was traded out to this one. I was traded out to that one. Right? Um, I don't know. Had, had you ever heard that blackmail is sometimes used in intelligence work? You know, the, the the Russians want to blackmail uh, the Americans or the Brits or whoever. Maybe even the Americans want to blackmail other, you know. Again, we're told Epstein had closed-circuit security camera video all over the place. We're told there's something like 200,000 images that uh, the FBI got from his New York mansion, all these CD-ROM deals. And none of it's ever going to come out. So, anyway. Look, um, Dementia Joe is still hiding details about the JFK assassination, right? Right? And that happened over 58 years ago. There, You know, no matter what happened, no matter how that went down, if there was some kind of conspiracy bigger than Oswald, probably pretty much everybody who was involved in it is dead by now. And they're still hiding details on that. Right? So, anyway... Because uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, the people involved with Epstein are still alive and kicking. This is not ancient history like the JFK assassination. And one president after another 
and has kept a lot of stuff redacted about JFK in Dallas, November 22nd, 1963. So, just a thought. Just a thought. Okay, now, speaking of government malfeasance, I think we all know. I think we all know that when they jammed Obamacare down our throats, the so-called Affordable Care Act in 09, that was part of a big conspiracy for the federal government to control us, to run our lives. Okay? So did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? I got good news for you. It's called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. You go to that website, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. And the big words, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Such a deal, right? You just click on the button, it says schedule call now. And with that, you book a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage and make sure there will be nothing in your plan, unlike a lot of the Obamacare plans, forcing you to cover stuff like abortion that would violate your deeply held religious beliefs. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com is the website. Affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays, just hit the button, schedule call now. You get the free consultation with Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage as he brings your costs way down on health insurance. Save money on your insurance today at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. You will be glad you did. All right. That having been said, We move along. There's a lot to talk about here. Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Robert Malone was banned forever from Twitter yesterday. Now, why might that be? Well, um, he was about to go on Joe Rogan's podcast, and when uh, Dr. Peter McCullough recently went on Rogan's podcast, it was very popular. I'm told there have been something like 40 million views of Dr. Peter McCullough with Joe Rogan. So Dr. Robert Malone was about to go on Joe Rogan's podcast and they ban him from Twitter. And one of the things about Twitter is that is a platform that is here to protect the wealthy and powerful who are trying to get over on us, okay? And the only reason, 
that I am still on Twitter is because I do a daily talk show and Twitter is where news breaks and there's nothing else like it on the Internet. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about. In the spring of 2014, before I left Panama City, Florida, to go to Little Rock, Arkansas, I was at home one afternoon on Twitter, 4.43 in the afternoon, and there was a tweet saying, active shooter at Fort Hood, Texas right now. And I'm like, what, again? You know, because there had been one in 2009. Here it was spring of 2014. So I click the link, and it goes to a television station. It was either... Um, Waco, Texas, or Colleen Temple, both of them are pretty close to Fort Hood, Texas. And sure enough, this uh, local television there had suspended regular programming, and they were broadcasting live from outside Fort Hood, where there was an active shooter at the time. And so I turned on the radio. I turned on two radios because there are two FM talk radio stations in in Florida, in, in, in that Panama City, Florida, in that local market there. So Sean Hannity is on one of the stations, and a guy named Todd Schnitt, who was syndicated out of Tampa, was on the other station. And neither one of them was talking about active shooter at Fort Hood, Texas. And I'm like, well, that's weird. 4.43 in the afternoon. And I just saw it on Twitter because Twitter's where news breaks. Hardly anybody had seen it at that point. 17 minutes later, Sean's show was over. Uh, Todd Schnitt's show was over. One of the stations went to Fox News Radio at the top of the hour, 5 p.m. Central. The other one went to ABC Radio News, 5 p.m. Central. And I thought, well, you know, maybe they'll have it. No, neither one of the news networks had it. Weird. So... At 5.06 Central, Mark Levin came on one of the stations, and a guy named Andy Dean, who used to be nationally syndicated, came on the other station. And neither one of them was talking about it until about 18 minutes after the hour, coming out of the first commercial break, and then that's all they talked about because it was a huge story. And so it dawned on me, if I had been doing a radio talk show that day and it had time to be scrolling through Twitter, which is tough to do when you're live on the air. But if I'd maybe seen something like during a commercial break or whatever, I would have scooped four nationally syndicated radio talk show hosts and two national radio news networks with this big story. So... That's why I have to be on Twitter, because people all the time, "Ah, I want you to get off Twitter, get over on this, get over on that. As long as I'm doing a a daily talk show talking about breaking news, I don't really have that option. But, you know, I certainly understand and agree with uh, conservatives who have fled from Twitter. I mean... 
Anyway, how did I get off on this tangent? Oh, yeah, Dr. Robert Malone, who was banned for life from Twitter yesterday. So, so I'm wondering... Um, I wonder if he was banned from Twitter yesterday because he's spitting out too much truth. This is less than two minutes long. Listen closely. Now, the long term, the only solution is political and legal. They, they, the government is now lawless. They are doing things that are against the law and they don't care. Um, they believe that... I, I don't know what they believe, but forcing people to take an experimental medical product is illegal. <clears throat> it is in federal law. We call it the common rule. It is not legal. Forcing the military to take an unlicensed product and then relabeling it, calling it the licensed product, which is what I'm telling Military people are coming to me and telling me this is what they're doing because there's a law that the military cannot administer unlicensed vaccines to its personnel. This is a law that came out of what happened with the Desert Storm and and the anthrax vaccine shots where a lot of military personnel were damaged. And they're not allowed to give unlicensed products. So the president commands them to vaccinate the troops with an unlicensed product. And so they, there's a colonel now in the Pentagon who will retire soon, so he doesn't have to worry anymore. That's why they picked him. They, they got a colonel to write a set of orders that are clearly illegal, that all military personnel have to be vaccinated with a vaccine that's not licensed, which is illegal. And what they're doing is they're telling the military personnel, oh, we're giving you the licensed vaccine, Comirnaty, but that vaccine doesn't exist. And so the other thing they're doing is they're taking the Pfizer vaccine and they're putting labels on it, calling it community, which is, by the way, a felony. Okay, They don't care. The, the law is no longer relevant. We have a government that is out of control. Yeah, so um, might that have been a reason? The Dr. Robert Malone was banned from Twitter because Twitter's all about protecting the powerful, just like Facebook, just like Google, just like YouTube. They're all about protecting the powerful. Now, it's starting to dawn on some of the libs out there that... The midterm elections are coming up in 2022, and they got to do something. You know, they they can't just continue to pretend that we got this deadly pandemic, right? Because people are tired of putting up with it. Now, I don't know if you heard about this, but the uh, director of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, 
says new COVID-19 isolation rules were based on, quote, what we thought people would be able to tolerate, unquote. Well, see, that sounds more like a political determination than anything having anything to do with, with science. Right? Well, that's the way it always was, right? It was never about the science. If it was about the science, then um, the government and the medical establishment wouldn't fought, have fought so hard against allowing people to use hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Hospitals wouldn't have killed so many people, and as they still do, forbidding the use and going to court to try to keep people from using ivermectin, which works, by the way, which works. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Rochelle Walensky said yesterday that the shortened COVID-19 isolation guidelines were based on what the CDC thought people would be able to tolerate. Yeah. She went on CNN with Caitlin Collins, and after Caitlin Collins asked whether the decision had as much to do with business as it did with science, Walensky said, and I quote, it really had a lot to do with what we thought people would be able to tolerate. Now, what is this all about? The CDC on Monday updated its recommended isolation policy for people who are infected with COVID from 10 days down to just five days, as long as they don't have any symptoms. Well, if you don't have any symptoms, why not just assume that it's a false positive and go about your life? I'll tell you why. Because they think you'll put up with the five-day isolation. And they like controlling you and tormenting you. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky added, we have seen relatively low rates of isolation for all of this pandemic. In other words, does that mean we realize a lot of people won't put up with it? She said the CDC's isolation guidance was previously conservative and that the changes were made in the context of a surge in COVID-19 cases in which many people may be asymptomatic or only mildly symptomatic. Oh, this Omicron thing, which is like a mild cold that they want us to be worried about anyway. That thing. She said people would feel well enough to be at work, though they would not necessarily tolerate being home. And if they may not comply with being home, this is the moment that we needed to make that decision, those changes. Oh, we still going to try to force you to be at home for five days, even though you're well enough to go to work. That. The CDC's rule change prompted backlash from unions, which said the new guidelines put work, no, not workers, That's communist talk. Put employees at risk and was put in place to help businesses avoid labor shortages, not to keep the public safe. Sarah Nelson, the president of the Associated Flight Attendants, said in a statement Monday, we said we wanted to hear from medical professionals on the best guidance for quarantine, not from corporate America advocating for a shortened period due to staffing shortages. Well, maybe they wouldn't be firing so many people for not getting a job. Maybe they wouldn't be having a problem with staffing shortages. I mean, it couldn't have anything to do with the um, union wanting people to have a longer paid vacation 
What it? Yeah, I tested positive. Don't have any symptoms, but maybe I should stay home for 10 days and stay on the payroll. I don't know, man. I can't call it, fam. But see, that's that's what it looks like. Now, wait a minute. Speaking of flight attendants, Julian Conradson over the Gateway Pundit has an alarming new article that came out late last night. FAA dangerously ignores its own guidelines, clears vaccinated pilots to fly despite do-not-issue-do-not-fly policy. Really? It says here the FAA has exposed has been exposed for flagrantly violating its own safety guidelines in order to push the experimental COVID-19 vaccine. According to the FAA's own policy, pilots should not fly after having taken medications that have been approved for less than a year. But the agency has systematically ignored those rules, clearing pilots to fly after waiting just two days from their date of vaccination without knowing the full scope of the long-term effects of these vaccines. So the FAA rules say for any medication, the aviation medical examiner should ascertain for what condition the medication is being used, how long, frequency, and any side effects of the medication. The safety impact of the underlying condition should also be considered. Do not issue. Aviation medical examiners should not issue airmen medical certificates to applicants who are using these classes of medications or medications. FDA approved less than 12 months ago, the FAA, FAA, pardon me, FDA approved less than 12 months ago, the FAA generally requires at least one year of post-marketing experience with the new drug before consideration for aeromedical certification purposes. This observation period allows time for uncommon but aeromedically significant adverse events to manifest themselves. On top of that, the COVID vaccines in question are not fully approved by the FDA. Instead, they are still being issued under the agency's emergency use authorization because the vaccine, Comirnaty, that was granted full approval is not being administered in the United States as of now. In other words, these pilots who take the rushed emergency use authorization vaccine would traditionally lose their ability to fly, but the FAA is clearing them anyway after just two days. From the FAA website, the federal air surgeon determined that FAA medical certificate holders may not act as pilot in command or in any other capacity as a required flight crew member for 48 hours after each dose of the Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson vaccines. A federal air surgeon made this determination after evaluation of available medical information about these COVID-19 vaccines and potential side effects. Okay, but the article says earlier this week, a group of independent attorneys, doctors, and other experts sounded the alarm over the agency's violations when they submitted a letter to the FAA, the Department of Transportation, Department of Justice, and the leaders of several large airlines 
demanding that officials immediately flag all vaccinated pilots and have them re-examined for known potential side effects of the vaccine, such as blood clotting and other cardiac issues. From their letter titled, The Federal Aviation Administration's Putting Both Pilots and the General Public at Risk by Forcing Vaccine Mandates, here's the quote. Notice to FAA that pilots are operating commercial aircraft in contravention of Do Not Fly Regulations, Title 14, Code of Federal Regulations, 61.53, also known as Federal Aviation Regulation 61.53 and Associated Guidance, which disallow medical clearance of pilots who have injected non-FDA-approved medical products such as COVID-19 vaccinations. Pilots flying with abnormal troponin values and or new ECG changes, cardiac MRI changes, which indicate active heart damage and possible acute myocarditis, are at elevated risk for arrhythmias, cardiac arrest, and death while in flight. Notice to the FAA, all commercial airline companies and all carriers insuring commercial airlines that a failure to immediately investigate this issue, correctly apply federal do-not-fly regulations, and ground all vaccinated pilots who cannot show clean D-dimer, troponin, ECG, and cardiac MRI tests could lead to a catastrophic catastrophic event involving mass fatalities, causing at-fault parties to suffer monetary liability, potentially extending to hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, human rights attorney and primary author of the letter, Lee Dundas, explained the group's concerns via email to the Epic Times she points out that the title of the section, the FAA's own guidelines, literally says, do not issue, do not fly in regard to pilots being cleared for duty. The guidelines even clearly instruct medical examiners to not issue medical certifications to pilots who use medical products, including vaccines, that were recently approved or not approved by the FDA. According to Lee Dundas, this attorney who spoke with the Epic Times via the email, the FAA's negligence could lead to a catastrophe if one of these pilots experiences a vaccine-related adverse reaction while in flight. You know, kind of like all those soccer players who are collapsing on the field in the middle of games. Here's part of the email. The FAA is charged with ensuring the safety of the flying public. Instead... As we speak, the FAA, as well as the commercial airline companies, are acting in contravention of their own federal aviation regulations and associated guidance, which tells medical examiners to not issue medical certifications to pilots using non-FDA-approved products. The title of the section I'm talking about literally, literally says, do not issue, do not fly, and then instructs medical examiners to not issue medical certifications to pilots using products the FDA approved less than 12 months ago. The pilots are flying with products which are not even recently approved. In violation of the above wording, they are flying with injections in their bodies which were never approved by the FDA at all, as no COVID vaccine which is commercially available in the U.S. has received FDA approval. Now, another one of the signees of the letter is Cody Flint, a guy whose career as pilot recently came to an end after he experienced 
adverse reactions to the vaccine while he was midair piloting a flight. 34-year-old agricultural pilot Cody Flint doesn't even remember how he landed after nearly blacking out in mid-flight, but thankfully he ended up safely on the ground. From the Epic Times again, Flint was flying his aircraft when tunnel vision started to kick in and a headache he developed after getting the jab worsened. About two hours after having taken off, he decided to pull up the plane to go back and felt an extreme burst of pressure in his ears, then immediately nearly blacked out and felt dizzy, disoriented, nauseous, and was shaking uncontrollably. As a commercial pilot, Cody Flint was concerned when he first saw FAA's 48-hour no-fly rule after a COVID-19 vaccination. He says, I find it hard to comprehend how the FAA justified moving the goalposts of safety from one full year of post-marketing safety review to only two days. The dangers associated with a pilot experiencing a severe adverse reaction from an mRNA-type COVID-19 vaccine while at the controls of an airplane could be horrifying and deadly, to say the least. As a pilot that experienced a tragic and career-ending adverse reaction to the Pfizer COVID vaccine while actively flying an airplane, I feel I can honestly and creditably speak out about the dangers associated with pilots returning to flight duties too early following COVID mRNA-type vaccination. In addition to uh, the attorney Lee Dundas and the former pilot Cody Flint, several other notable experts signed the letter, including aerospace occupational medicine specialist Lieutenant Colonel uh, Theresa Long, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Ryan Cole, and Mary Holland from Children's Health Defense. Hopefully their warning is heeded before a tragedy happens that could have been prevented. At the very least, the the FAA should be regularly screening the health of these pilots for an extended period of time after they have received a dose of the vaccine. Anything less seems almost criminal, especially considering the seriousness of the known adverse events tied to these mRNA vaccines. Now, this brings to mind something I forgot to mention about Dr. Robert Malone, who was banned for life from Twitter yesterday. He's a guy who developed the mRNA vaccine. So, I mean, maybe he knows what he's talking about. Just maybe he knows what he's talking about. Let me look at uh, what Deborah Hine over in American Greatness is saying about Dr. Robert Malone, renowned physician and inventor of mRNA technology permanently banned from Twitter. She says Malone had been arguing about the risks of the COVID vaccines outweighing the benefits when his account was suspended. And... So she's got the last few tweets, I guess, that he did. We're never going to learn about how safe this vaccine is unless we start giving it. And that's a quote from somebody on the FDA council. He says, 
So let's look at the evidence. And he links to one of his columns over at Substack. And also there's a link to the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, the Pfizer inoculations for COVID-19, more harm than good, with video on them. Yeah, this is the kind of thing Twitter's not going to allow. He says the Pfizer inoculations for COVID-19, more harm than good. The Pfizer six-month study, pardon me, the Pfizer six-month data, which shows that Pfizer's COVID-19 inoculations cause more illness than they prevent, plus an overview of the Pfizer trial flaws in both design and execution. He says you've been lied to again and again and again. And he says we all knew it would happen eventually. He had half a million followers on Twitter. All of them gone in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Permanently suspended on Twitter and how to find me, Dr. Robert W. Malone. We all knew it would happen eventually. Today it did. Over a half million followers gone in a blink of an eye. That means I must have been on the mark, so to speak, over the target. It also means we lost a critical component in our fight to stop these vaccines being mandated for children and to stop the corruption in our governments as well as the medical industrial complex and pharmaceutical industries. He says, so please spread the word. Share this on your own Twitter feed or whatever social media venue you wish. And then he has ways to sign in and keep track of him in other places. We're going to see if we can get him on the show. Because it's just outrageous. It just is just outrageous. Now, I want to play a clip from last night from uh, Chris Hayes over at MSNBC because, I mean, I rarely give you anything from MSNBC, but I found it fascinating. found it fascinating. A guy I follow on Twitter, he follows me, a guy named uh, Will Power, Dragon Truthbringer, He says, Democrats in the media are always late to realizing what folks have been trying to tell them. So what is Chris Hayes starting to realize at MSNBC? Let's check it out. Nearly 66% of the eligible population. That has transformed the risk level and experience of the pandemic for the vast majority of those people. And of course, there are still people, many people, millions, who are immunocompromised or who are otherwise vulnerable due to age or medical conditions. When he says 66% of the eligible population, he means Americans who are fully vaccinated. But for the people who don't fall into that category, and we're talking about, you know, 150 million people, maybe or more, those people who are vaccinated, particularly those who are boosted, you know, the risk, the personal risk of, of being exposed to this went from something that we hadn't really dealt with specifically like this before in our lifetimes. We hadn't quite had an illness this infectious and this possible to cause serious illness to something that does look more like the flu. And the flu, of course, can still be dangerous, kills tens of thousands of Americans every year, but we don't orient our lives around the flu. So that's closer to the level of risk that, you know, 200 million Americans or less than that are now dealing with. And then when you add in the sheer exhaustion, many people feel, and I don't have to tell you this, I'm sure, because you're just 
feeling this yourself, many of you, with the lengths of this disruption in their lives, obviously the politics of the pandemic are just completely different than they were earlier in the pandemic. Oh, I see. I see. Now, somebody tried to say that a few months ago. They wouldn't have been allowed to. But again, the politics of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you realize that the uh, the midterms are less than a year away. Right? And you got to stop acting like this thing is as crazy whack that serious as you've been acting. Right? I mean, Washington Post has a new article out, Coronavirus Risk Calculations Get Harder. As a study suggests, rapid tests may be less effective at detecting Omicron. Oh, really? And a big hat tip to uh, Josh Kroshauer against the grain columnist over at National Journal who says there's a buried lead way down in the Washington Post interview from Fauci who says, it may turn out that Omicron, at least among those who are vaccinated and are previously infected, is going to turn out to be more of a bothersome upper respiratory infection. Oh, really? That, huh? In layman's terms, a bad cold. More Fauci, buried deeper than the Washington Post article. If your plans are to go to a 40 to 50 person New Year's Eve party with all the bells and whistles and everybody hugging and kissing and wishing each other a happy new year, I would strongly recommend that this year we do not do that. Oh, okay. Another cautionary note on testing from the Washington Post article. The PCR tests, meanwhile, are more accurate in detecting the presence of the virus but are so sensitive they can identify traces of the virus many weeks after a person is no longer infectious. Well, how long have we known that? Again, Dr. Kerry Mullis, the guy that developed the PCR technique over 40 years ago, said all those years it's not a test to determine whether you're sick or not. And... um, The CDC, the FDA, the World Health Organization, the National Institutes of Health, and all 50 health departments in all 50 states in the United States said, we don't care. We're going to pretend that the PCR test is a test to determine whether you're sick, whether you have the virus. Until the CDC announced a few months ago, um, yeah, we're not going to do the PCR anymore after the end of the year. I started talking about that on my local uh, radio talk show in uh, Little Rock and got got hammered by management. So nice to be free of all that mess. So nice to be free of all that mess. So nice to not have to worry about, oh, you'll get fired if you say this. You'll get fired if you say that. Now, Dr. Pierre Corey is a 
brilliant doctor who I heard about first when I filled in for Mark Levin about a year ago. It was December of last year, and Dr. Pierre Corey had just been on the – he gave a testimony to uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson's subcommittee about something I never heard of before called ivermectin. And, boy, that was um, that was a big deal. And we played that testimony Dr. Pierre Corey gave. We played that when I filled in for uh, Mark Levin. I played on my local radio talk show in uh, Little Rock about ivermectin. So Dr. Pierre Corey is a hero. He's the guy who came up with Or at least the first doctor who publicized nationally how ivermectin cures people with the Rona, the China virus, the Wu flu. All right. Well, Dr. Corey, who hasn't been. Uh, Banned from Twitter yet. I'm sure they'll get around to it. He links to an article over there in Substack, A Myth is Born, How CDC, FDA, and Media Wove a Web of Ivermectin Lies That Outlives the Truth. Subtitle, New Mexico officials admit they were wrong. Two people died from COVID, not from Ivermectin. Yet the CDC generated the nation's highest health alert and a thousand fake headlines on false cases. When a Texas cattleman, 79, died last September in New Mexico after contracting COVID, his family never anticipated the worldwide headlines that would ensue. In a Ballyhooed press conference, New Mexico Human Services Secretary Dr. David Scrace New Mexico's top health chief announced New Mexico's first ivermectin, quote, overdose, unquote, soon adding a second fatality allegedly from, quote, ivermectin toxicity, unquote. Now, Dr. Scrace has acknowledged that his repeated what he called offhand assertions were groundless. Two deaths were not caused by ivermectin, a long-used generic drug that was emerging as a COVID treatment. Instead, he said that the pair died because they actually just delayed their care with COVID. Well, now that's a big difference. Dr. Scrace backpedaled on December 1st in a little-noticed online press briefing and only after we pressed his agency to provide evidence for its claims of so-called ivermectin deaths. Officials had repeatedly said they were awaiting a toxicology report on the cattleman's death, yet we learned that the report was never even ordered or done, and moreover, the man's death was ruled by the state's coroner as being from natural causes. Not a single media outlet reported Dr. Scrace's admission 
even as dozens, including The Hill and The New York Times, had eagerly covered his original assertions about ivermectin, an anti-parasitic drug awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2015. One early headline, quoting Dr. Scrace, again, head of the New Mexico Health Department, said, I don't want more people to die. It's the wrong medicine for something really serious. New York Times headline. Yeah. Doctors, scientists, and toxicologists worldwide were puzzled by the assertions because ivermectin is an extraordinarily safe FDA-approved drug, a fixture on the World Health Organization's list of 100 essential medicines all hospital systems are recommended to carry. Nearly 4 billion doses have been given in four decades. New Mexico became a key player in a broad pattern of governmental deception late last summer to portray ivermectin as dangerous in tandem with three related developments. Research strongly supported the drug's efficacy against COVID. Prescriptions were soaring and public health officials were single-mindedly focused not on treatment but on vaccination. We previously reported that the U.S. FDA tweeted warning last August against using ivermectin meant for livestock was prompted by incorrect and unverified information from Mississippi. Health officials there have posted an alert suggesting the state's poison control center was deluged with hundreds of calls over ingestion of livestock ivermectin. In reality, we found four reports were received. But fueled by bits of contorted evidence like this, the anti-ivermectin train was unstoppable. We have now learned that in the rush to bury a drug described as astonishingly safe, and long used globally to quell animal and human parasites, the FDA was not alone. Emails we obtained from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control show that an influential August 26th national health alert on ivermectin was spurred, like the FDA tweet, by a sliver of evidence. Just three cases of alleged ivermectin side effects, two involving animal formulations, no patient died, one appeared to have been hospitalized, and one declined any medical help. Nonetheless, those three reports obtained by the Atlanta-based CDC from the Georgia Poison Control Center sealed the decision to issue the nation's highest-level health warning, according to the emails. Referring to planning for the health alert, a CDC medical toxicity officer, Dr. Michael Yeh, wrote in an August 17th email, quote, the consensus was that unless we're seeing bad adverse effects from ivermectin, we'd hold off. Now it sounds like we have evidence of significant toxicity. That email was written 72 minutes after brief information on three reports arrived in a separate email. While CDC's intention might have been to protect people, the alert is emblematic of what has become a national obsession, portray an early treatment for COVID, whether in the animal or human form, as potentially toxic. CDC hopped aboard. Hey, so did the Arkansas governor. Aza Hutchinson, governor of Arkansas. The same time this whole Mississippi story was blown out of proportion, he announced that there had been um, a lot of people calling into the Poison Control Center in Arkansas 
about having taken too much ivermectin. Uh, by the way, I don't believe that. The timing was just too perfect. Uh, in an email later that day, August 17, Dr. Michael Yeah, CDC medical toxicity officer, laid out what he called the evidence. The most serious case involved a man 77 years old who was said to have taken a dose of ivermectin apparently meant for an 1,800-pound bovine. He had hallucinations and tremors, which improved, but he was eventually diagnosed with COVID-19, for which he needed only supplemental oxygen. In two other cases, a woman who took the human form of the drug was said to have suffered some confusion. Some confusion, huh? What if she already had the confusion? Another woman had subjective visual disturbances after taking a product meant for sheep but declined medical help. These side effects are in keeping with what the National Institutes of Health calls a well-tolerated anti-parasitic drug with such adverse effects as dizziness, pruritus, nausea, or diarrhea. Hmm. That's weird. I never had any of those adverse effects when I took ivermectin. French researchers published a review last March of 350 ivermectin articles in medical literature and found adverse adverse effects to be infrequent and usually mild to moderate. The study by the French drug maker Medincel noted that no deaths were reported even after accidental overdoses or suicide attempts. In view of Ivermectin's well-established safety profile, our, our request for CDC documents under the Freedom of Information Act sought the rationale for the health alert and specifically asked for the data CDC used from the American Association of Poison Control Centers to which state centers report. By the way, the American Association of Poison Control Centers has refu- had refused to provide it. In response to the Freedom of Information Act request, CDC asserted quite remarkably that it is no longer possesses or has access to the data because its licensing agreement with the American Association of Poison Control Centers had lapsed. The data might have specified, for example, just how many calls were related either to animal or human formulations of ivermectin. The alert instead lumps all reports together, making it difficult to fathom the extent of livestock ivermectin use. An increase in ivermectin calls to poison control centers in 2021 is not in dispute, especially as doctors learned of studies showing fewer deaths, shorter hospitalizations, and outpatient success. Poison control centers often see upticks in calls when new drugs come into use, with many callers not complaining of any bad side effects, but only seeking information. Did you know that? Poison control centers also field calls on old, long-established medications. Acetaminophen alone generated 47,000 reports in 2019 and led to 164 deaths, according to the Poison Control Center Association. The context, of course, was missing from the CDC's alert. Calls to poison control centers for use of animal and human ivermectin grew five to eightfold from pre-pandemic levels the alert ominously reported. At the same time, it said ivermectin prescriptions had soared 24-fold 
in a perfectly legal trend led by physicians, but one the CDC clearly found unacceptable and alarming. So they're reporting an alert because people are calling poison control centers with questions for information. Not with bad side effects. No distinction was made between animal and human formulations of ivermectin in the alert from the CDC, which was peppered with phrases like ivermectin misuse and overdose, seizures, coma, and death, sheep drench, severe illness, and rabbit increase. So the message was, don't use either form, human or animal, even as 71 studies show 64% of over 50,000 patients improved after taking ivermectin for COVID. So why do they want people to die? Despite the alert, and despite New Mexico's unfounded pronouncements, no one has died from ivermectin poisoning among over 2,100 cases logged by the American Association for Poison Control Centers from January 1st to December 14th of this year. 2% of those reports, about 42 people, involved a major effect, according to a bulletin from the American Association for Poison Control Centers. 70% were dismissed as having no effect, non-toxic exposure, and the like. One category of those calls might rightfully have been classified as anti-ivermectin hysteria. New Mexico, for example, urged citizens to report any known ivermectin use to the state's poison control center, even if someone you know has taken it. We asked Dr. Paul Merrick, a founder of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, his thoughts on the effort to vilify ivermectin as dangerous. He said, ivermectin is one of the safest medications on this planet, far safer than aspirin or acetaminophen. This is a fairy tale. Disney could not come up with a better fairy tale, but it was no kind of fantasy for the Cattleman's family when he got sick. It was a painful experience with a politicized health system. It wasn't a secret that a cattleman who died while in New Mexico from COVID took an animal formulation of ivermectin. It is a drug he was well-versed in using, having routinely administered it to his herds in Texas. Others in the family also used Ivomec, a liquid formulation of ivermectin for cattle, since news spread of ivermectin's effectiveness against COVID. We're told by a close family friend and business associate of the Texan, practically everyone I know takes it. Worth holding the man's name at the family's request. Ivermectin is just one of 167 drugs tested for safety and approved by the FDA for both animals and humans. Yet those who take either form of ivermectin for COVID have been characterized as being anti-science and influenced by misinformation. The Texan is one of two individuals according to repeated statements from New Mexico officials, died from ivermectin toxicity. While their identities were not revealed by the New Mexico State Health Department, a source familiar with the cases released them to us during this investigation. Documents in interviews with those knowledgeable about the death of the rancher tell a different story than the narrative put forth by New Mexico health officials. When the Texas cattleman arrived at the ER in New Mexico on the evening of September 2nd with his wife, he was soon diagnosed as suffering from acute dehydration as well as being COVID positive. His daughter arrived at the hospital several hours later. 
In an interview, she told of the surprise 80th birthday party for her dad the weekend before, where eight of the 11 family members attending ended up with COVID. Everyone seemed to have mild symptoms, she recalled. With her dad in New Mexico and not feeling well, she suggested he be checked out. She said, my father was not very good at keeping himself hydrated. And at that point, he didn't seem to be drinking at all. He arrived to the hospital dehydrated to the point that his kidneys had become damaged. That's what doctors told the family. Lacking a proper dialysis machine at the Lincoln County Medical Center, the family was told that they were trying to locate another hospital to send him to. Unfortunately, he never made it out of Ruidoso, New Mexico, dying on September 3rd. But what happened while his wife and daughter anxiously awaited outside the ICU soon after being informed that the Texan was likely going to pass away struck them as most peculiar. His daughter recalled a very puzzling phone call her mother received, so disturbing, in fact, that she felt like yanking the phone from her. An unknown man was on the line asking if her father took ivermectin. It was the only time she remembers that particular drug being discussed in the hospital. She said, I feel like they were pushing her. It was really irritating. It was not a doctor or nurse, but mom cannot remember who it was or what they represented. The the person on the phone was most interested, she recalled, in grilling her mother about her dad's use of ivermectin. At the very next press briefing, Dr. Scrace, head of the New Mexico Health Department, announced that a reliable source reported the state's first death from someone who took ivermectin. While he hedged his bets about the role of ivermectin and mentioned delayed care, he nonetheless repeatedly characterized the man's death and one other as specifically being caused by ivermectin. However, the cattleman's death certificate filed at the end of September says otherwise. It stated he passed away from natural causes. His death was not listed as requiring any type of pending investigation, and the medical examiner's office confirmed the fact that no autopsy or toxicology report was done. But Dr. Scrace's original tale proved to be very popular with the media. USA Today liked it so much, the paper released several versions. Headline, Two Die of Ivermectin Poisoning. It announced the same day the death certificate was officiated. Five days after that, a headline in the Hill.com trumpeted, New Mexico reports two deaths from Ivermectin. Now, the New Mexico Department of Health has yet to respond to any questions about why a straightforward correction was not made to the media early on regarding the two deaths that were erroneously attributed to ivermectin. It's also not clear why at a recent press briefing the agency was continuing to perpetuate this fallacy even after admitting it was untruthful rather than correcting the record. And why they have alleged another ivermectin-related death, again, without offering any evidence to that effect. Gee, I wonder if there's money involved. I'm just, just throwing that out there. I wonder if there's money involved. The second supposed ivermectin death involved a 38-year-old woman from Cuba, New Mexico, reportedly of Navajo heritage. An autopsy was done, but the results have yet to be released. While Dr. Scrace of the New Mexico Health Department has acknowledged that the two deaths were from, were from COVID, not ivermectin, he nonetheless announced 
what he called yet a third ivermectin death at his December 1st briefing. This guy needs to be in jail. He's lying, and he's endangering the lives of people. The new death, well, no, because he said, oh, we goofed. Those two people didn't die from ivermectin. Now he's saying we got a third ivermectin death. The new death, Dr. Scrace said, is a 60-year-old man who took a horse preparation. This gentleman took 150 milligrams, 150 milligrams, suffered liver failure, kidney failure, and actually died from the ivermectin without the COVID. As with the first two cases, the cause of death remains to be seen. According to Dr. Merrick, 150 milligrams of ivermectin can be safely tolerated. He wrote in an email, I do not know of a single case of liver failure and organ failure due to ivermectin. Both the CDC and the New Mexico Department of Health declined to answer questions for this article. What a shock. The CDC email suggests it took very little to convince the agency to issue a national warning about the use of ivermectin. Details on those three cases are scant. The emails show ivermectin dosages are missing or in one case described as concentration unknown. One woman was sent to the hospital, but her baseline mental status was unclear. Another one was to be contacted for follow-up after declining aid, but there's no indication that was done. So, these anecdotal bits are the threads from which a mythical tapestry about so-called ivermectin toxicity has been woven. This myth lives on in easily accessed online articles. Among them, Mississippi's health alert on August 19th said 70% of poison control calls were for ingestion of livestock ivermectin. The actual figure was 2%. It was not corrected for 46 days. The FDA claimed last March to have received multiple reports of injury and hospitalization after people took livestock ivermectin. In reality, the FDA relied on four reports, a spokesperson said in an email. CDC officials referenced the FDA consumer warning when planning their own contribution to the myth of ivermectin harm. It matters little that false Mississippi figures were corrected at our behest by the New York Times twice in the Washington Post. What matters is the hurricane of fear whipped up by New Mexico, Mississippi, the FDA, and the CDC, and abetted by the media, made ivermectin into something it was not. I'm going to throw in Arkansas there, too, because the governor of Arkansas was was deep in all of this. So where do we stand as vaccines fail and cases rise? On October 28th, wispolitics.com, Wisconsin Politics, reported the case of a family that failed to convince a court to give FDA-approved ivermectin to their dying loved one. Their website reported... There have been multiple reports nationally of people taking the version of the drug intended for animals to combat COVID-19 and sickening themselves in the process. So they're parroting the debunked lies. Unsupported in the medical literature, the false image of ivermectin convinced doctors in that case to suggest that the prescribed dosage may be lethal. Indeed, the invented peril rather than promise of ivermectin, has become ingrained in the national media and consciousness. That is the story that lives on. It's an article over at rescue.substack.com by Linda Bonfi. 
investigative journalist, freelance health and environmental writer, and co-author of several books, including Chemical-Free Kids, and most recently, A Consumer's Guide to Toxic Food Additives, and Mary Beth Pfeiffer, an investigative journalist who's outraged by the government's abject failure to stop COVID-19 by treating it early. She says censorship and greed have fueled this pandemic. They certainly have. They certainly have. I wonder what would happen if I just try to put this on my Facebook page right now. What would happen? It depends upon if I use the wrong words in describing it and the algorithm picks up on it. Let's see. Well, I guess I have too many tabs open. Oh, okay. Facebook finally loaded. How about that? That's neat. Facebook finally loaded. Okay, let's just post this here on Facebook. Let me see. And let's say the government and healthcare establishment continue to lie to you. Here is the proof. And we'll see what Facebook does with it. They probably won't like it for long. They probably won't like it for long. I can tell you that. Because, the you know, well, yeah, and Facebook admitted in, in court the other day that their fact checkers really aren't fact checkers, right? No, their fact checkers are actually... Just people who traffic in opinions. Right. Opinions. Yeah. And that's what that's all about. That is what that is all about. All right, I gotta uh I gotta do something here real quick. So let me uh let me just do this one of these for you and it'll be quick and painless. You're listening to The Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. You can now listen live weekdays, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time at DocWashburnShow.com. Podcast available at DocWashburnShow.com and for download at Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. We are on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, thank you very much, my producer, uh, Brian Coolis. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Now, that having been said, it's, uh, oh, I guess it's... Uh, we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to go online and buy the car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. Take care of the whole thing online, and they will deliver to your front door wherever you live in the lower 48, the continental United States. 
All right, tweet of the day, tweet of the day. Um, talk show host out of Houston. I love reading his tweets. I still haven't actually heard his show, but his his tweets are great. He says, reminder, there are many lessons you can take from the America's disastrous, dishonest, repug- repugnant handling of COVID. None more important than this. Never give an inch. Next time they ask for 15 days to slow the spread, the answer must be a resounding no from everyone. We didn't, by the way, this, this tweet of the day is actually a thread of the day. He says, we didn't recently get inflation, mental health issues, mentally tortured kids, missed cancer screenings, and everything else. This didn't just happen. It didn't even happen during the past year. During this past year of 2021. It happened when they told you to stop your life for 15 days and you said, oh, okay. You're governed by dullards and monsters. Dullards and monsters at every level. Don't ever let these people guide your life. The only thing they hate more than you is America itself. In their minds, America only exists as a blood machine for them to leech off of. Remember that. Oh, one last thing. It's common now to point out when COVID-pushing politicians violate their own rules. But remember, they did that from the very start. It's not, it's not that they're not worried about coronavirus. It's that they were never worried about it, ever. Monsters, that's all. Monsters. Man, that's the tweet of the day right there. You know, you go back to a summer of last year when um, Governor of California was at an indoor birthday party with like two dozen people, nobody wearing a mask, nobody socialist distancing at a restaurant, very expensive restaurant, while he was forcing everybody else to wear masks and socially distance. And uh, a few days after the uh, photo came out, state of California told people to start wearing masks at home in between bites at dinner. You know, I mean, they've never been worried about it. They've never been worried about it. So when we think about the fact that the healthcare establishment lies to us and they're hand in hand with the government lying to us and we look at announcements like this from oh by the way thank you redriveryourway.com for sponsoring today's Tweet of the day, Red River Your Way, where you can buy the car, truck, van, or SUV online, get exactly what you want, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental U.S. So we think about the government, the federal government, and even state health departments and healthcare establishment lying to us. And we look at what U.S. Representative Thomas Massey out of Kentucky says, since children are a thousand times less likely than elderly 
to have severe outcomes from COVID, the argument for vaccinating them used to be that the vaccine would keep them from infecting high-risk individuals like grandma, like teachers. So if that's not true, because we know that people can be vaccinated and still get the COVID and pass the COVID along, then what's the motivation now? What indeed? So when you think about all the lies, would it shock you if I told you that there is a secret in American health care that is so secret that there are wealthy people who could be helped by it, who don't even know about it. Don't even know about it. That's why I started the show today talking about TurnMyPowerOn.com. TurnMyPowerOn.com. By getting your atlas adjusted. So don't forget to check it out especially have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, even eczema. A lot of people have been helped. All right, now. Now. I got to get to uh, independent journalist Jordan Schachtel. And... his new article over at Substack, and we don't have time to read the whole thing. I'll just give you the summary. There's a little thread over on Twitter. It's absolutely true that there is no FDA-approved COVID-19 vaccine available in the United States today. And Pfizer has no plans to make one available anytime soon. I fact-checked the fact-checkers, Big Pharma, and the feds, and couldn't believe what I found. And he updated his piece on Substack to reflect that both Pfizer and the feds claim that Comirnaty has the same legal protections as the emergency use authorization. Still, they have no explanation why there are two distinct products, why one is being delivered under emergency use authorization and the fully authorized version cannot be obtained in the United States of America. He says there are several complex ongoing legal battles regarding emergency use authorization versus full approval protections. What we do know for sure is that there is no FDA-approved shot available in the United States, and Pfizer has no intention of bringing the fully approved product to market here soon. The fact-checkers gave a voice to both Pfizer and the government but did not lend a comment to the individuals and legal groups that litigate with Big Pharma. The latter group claims the difference between emergency use authorization and full approval is very significant. The other side claims otherwise. So, Kyle Becker over beckernews.com responds, once again, I'll point out that if there is a fully authorized vaccine on the market, then it becomes illegal for other vaccines to be offered under emergency use authorization. 
This is federal law. Yet Moderna and Johnson & Johnson are still legally available in the U.S. That's another way you know that it's a sham. Also, Bonchio at Red State points out, because as long as it's emergency use, there's no liability. Right? You can't sue the uh, drug maker, right? Anyway, just thought I would share that with you. Because there's just so much. Again, I got in trouble from local management doing local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. When I pointed out that the PCR test was not designed to tell whether you have COVID or not, not designed to tell whether you have any virus, not designed to tell whether you're sick. And the the, uh, CDC had said, Health providers, health care providers need to find something else because we're going to stop authorizing this at the end of the year. That got me in trouble, even though every word of it's true. Every word of it's true. Now, what's this idiot Fauci up to yesterday? Let's check it out. The purpose of it was is that given the wave, the extraordinary unprecedented wave of infections that we are experiencing now and will certainly experience more of in the next few weeks, that there is the danger that there will be so many people who are being isolated, who are asymptomatic for the full 10 days, that you could have a major negative impact on our ability to keep society running. So the decision was made, although it's not completely risk-free, of saying, let's get that cut in half so that we could have 50%, namely half of the 10 days, and 50% of that time, people can actually be out with a mask in society. Talking about the CDC announcing the other day that um, if you test positive for COVID, you can just isolate for five days instead of 10 days. Now, again, the quote, there's a danger that There will be so many people who are being isolated who are asymptomatic for the full 10 days that you could have a major negative effect on our ability to keep society running. So the decision was made of saying, let's cut that in half. Now, this is the same guy, this Fauci, who pushed back against Trump when Trump was president, and Trump came to the conclusion, look, uh, we can't let the cure be worse than the disease. This is a guy for over a year and a half now has gleefully supported trying to shut down the American economy and bring this country to its knees. So why is he all of a sudden changing his tune? Because he is a Democrat politician in good standing and because he realizes or somebody reminded him the midterms are less than a year away and people are tired of this foolishness, tired of putting up with it. 
Know what I'm saying? So, uh, so yeah. Maybe that has something to do with it. By the way, CNN just announced they're going to host live from the Capitol January 6th, one year later, moderated by Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper from the National Statuary Hall. The great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness responded by posting her new book that's coming out soon, January 6th, How Democrats Used the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. And that's true. That's absolutely true. God bless her. God bless her. Now again, remember the name Ray Epps? Thomas Massey, Congressman Thomas Massey, Kentucky, posted the video compilation. says, how many January 6th protesters were actually working for the federal government. In October, I asked Attorney General Garland while he was under oath and he refused to answer. He looked very nervous and worried when I showed him this video in that hearing. Okay, here's a video he showed in the congressional hearing. In fact, tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. We need, we need to go, I'll say it, we need to go in to the Capitol. Let's go! I'm probably going to go to jail tomorrow. We need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. And this guy, and there's plenty more from the day of. This is from the night before. Ray Epps lives in Phoenix, Arizona. The FBI knows who he is. He was on their most wanted list for the first few months after January 6th. And then when he started getting outed by the media, they expunged any mention of him. And they acted like they had never wanted him for anything. And they're not going to prosecute him. And again, when a congressman asked Attorney General Merrick Garland, were there any federal agents there among the protesters. He wouldn't answer. He was very nervous. Whole thing was set up. It was not an insurrection. It was a fedsurrection. And again, Darren J. Beatty over Revolver.News has been doing remarkable work on exposing all of this. Did a great article in October, Meet Ray Epps, the Fed-protected provocateur who appears to have led the very first January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Now, why would the Feds be protecting the guy who led the very first January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol? And then the follow-up from the other day, video evidence showing these people organizing and encouraging the breach of the Capitol, and none of them have been indicted. What gave them the confidence to operate with impunity? Did they have get-out-of-jail-free cards? <laughs> yeah, they had never-go-to-jail-in-the-first-place cards. That's what they had. 
The whole thing. The whole thing was a setup. The whole thing was a setup. Just so you know. Just so you know. See, that's why we're different here. We're unmasked, unfiltered, uncensored. And I'm just trying to put the truth out there as straight as I possibly can. And I'm thankful that God opened this door when the other one closed at Cumulus Media that fired me for refusing to get the gene therapy unproven vaccine. So, you've been listening to episode 56 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been... A terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the 10th. And that's the way it is, Thursday, December 30th, 2021.